this, this morning, is, the sermon is titled, Don't Just Sit There. However, this is to be applied after I get through preaching, okay? So no one leave yet. We're gonna, uh, we are going to have a sermon. I know that we have chili waiting on us. We'll get there. But just sit there for a little while. But hopefully after this sermon, you'll understand what I mean by don't just sit there. We are going to be in James chapter 1, so if you want to go ahead and turn to James chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 19, is we will read through verse 27 this morning. Uh, and while you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about James. Uh, James is the half-brother of Jesus. I say half-brother uh, because Jesus' heavenly Father was God, and, uh, but Mary was both uh, Jesus and James's mother, and James um, was not a believer in Jesus during Jesus's life, and so most people believe that it was at the resurrection when James saw his brother alive that that is when he put his faith in him as Lord and Savior, and uh, a resurrected Jesus would, I'm sure, be very impactful. A lot of people call James the Proverbs of the New Testament, and the reason that they do that is because if you've ever read James, it's do this, don't do this. There's a lot of like how to put your faith into action, and it's not just um, giving you a set of rules to follow. It's telling you how to live out your Christian faith, and so James can be a very good book to read uh, to help you to know what you need to do as a Christian. I enjoy James. It used to be my favorite book of the Bible for the first several years I was a Christian um, just because it was so practical and it just said do this or don't do this. James chapter 1, I thought about this being the next book that that I preached through, but this morning I'm going to preach this sermon from the end of James chapter 1. And next Sunday, um, for those of you who came to the revival that we had at the town-wide revival that we, it was raining, so we had it at the Methodist Church. Um, I talked about revival there at that uh, meeting, and some of you have asked me to, to share that here at our church, so next Sunday morning, I will be doing that. We will be talking about revival and how to pray for revival and why we need revival and begging God for revival, and so... Uh, that'll be next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, if things go as planned, which rarely happens with me, but we'll see, uh, then we will be beginning to study our next uh, series, and we will uh, study First Peter from beginning to end. And so I hope that you guys um, will look forward to that and that you'll, you'll be here to hear those sermons. And I hope that we will listen to those sermons and then put those sermons into action. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, James chapter 1, he begins James, James begins his letters, his letter to these different people who have been dispersed. They're believers, but they've been dispersed. And interestingly enough, this, this is how Peter begins his letter that we will be studying in a few weeks, where he um, is sending a letter to those Christians who have been dispersed because of persecution and other reasons. And so many people believe uh, that Peter sent a letter to a church to churches going this way, and James the other. And so, in this letter, it's basically just telling Christians, "This is how you're supposed to be a Christian." 
And it's addressing some wrong beliefs and different things like that. Um, But he starts off the the letter by telling them to stand firm when trials come their way because trials will come our way. And these people that he is writing to, they were already in the midst of trials. And he was telling them to count it all joy when trials come their way. And then he moves on to that from that to say, look, don't give in to temptation. And don't say that it's God tempting you. You know, just live for God. Be faithful to God. And then we eventually we get to verse 19. And in verse 19 it says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. So you see that J- James has affection for these people. And he's, he's not just writing to... Uh, uh, unempathetically to these people, he, lo- he has concern for them, and he is writing to them in a way that lets them know this. He is calling them beloved brothers. And so he says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So let me ask you, um, we have some children in here today, since this is our uh, first Sunday of the month. Um, how many of you kids have ever had to say, uh, mom or dad, dad, dad. How, how many of y'all ever had to do that? <clears throat> All right, I see a lot of hands. Andy uh, raised his. You, you could talk to him about that later, Jake. Um, how, many of, how many of you, I know this has never happened, but is there any parent in there here who has ever had to repeat their child's name? John, John. Oh, oh, there's a lot of you. Okay, all right. Well, I think that generally we are not uh, quick to listen. We're not quick to hear. I think generally we are distracted and focused on what we're focused on and that we can uh, get ourselves in trouble that way. And now, what's even worse, not that that's not bad, but what's even worse is when someone is trying to have a conversation with you and you're not paying attention. How many of you have ever had that experience where you're talking to someone and you're sharing your heart, you're pouring out your heart, and then you look at them and they're dozing off or watching TV or anybody ever, why are you elbowing Jimmy so hard, Shirley? Stop that. Uh, uh, we're, we're all guilty. We're all guilty. And, and so right here, we begin this with, Seemingly, like I said, the proverb of, uh, Proverbs of the New Testament, um, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, there are a few chapters about wisdom and just about wisdom in general. But then it just gets to quick saying after quick saying after quick saying that a person who does this will be successful, a person who does this will fail. It just is one saying like that after another. And here he says... Uh, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And it seems like another proverb, but it plays out as something different. And in fact, I believe that this letter that James wrote plays out differently than the book of Proverbs in general because it's all cohesive. It's, It's woven together that James has a plan to his madness. It might seem like just one thing after another, uh, stand firm in trials. Don't give in to temptation. Be quick to hear. And then if you know James, going into chapter 2, you're, you're, it's, it just keeps going. And James covers a lot of things that we should do, should not do. Uh, but 
he has a purpose of bringing up this very issue of listening. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, when we are having a conversation with someone, and that conversation begins to get heated, and I know none of you have ever had a heated conversation, but just, you know, it's an example. Then, if you're like me, let's flash back about 13 years to when Rose and I first got married. Um, this isn't a fun story, John, so you shouldn't say yay. Um, I mean, it might be fun for you. It wasn't fun for me or your mother. Uh, but when we first got married, neither of us were very quick to listen. We were quick to, as soon as someone said something that sounded just a little bit uh, rude, we would get defensive. We would get we, we, no more listening, ready to fight. Um, but we have completely matured since then, and that's not an issue anymore. But back then, you, you hear, um, that was a problem. And we can't do that. If we would just listen to the Scripture, and we would be quick to listen, and I think when we say quick to listen, quick to hear, that it is implying that we're really trying to understand. And when someone is telling us something, and he goes to anger, that's the reason I'm relating this to anger is because James does. But when someone is trying to tell us something, we should really hear where they're coming from. Not just hear the words that they're saying, not just hear their logic, but also why they are choosing to see things the way they're seeing them. Because if if we can't see where we're coming from, then how are we ever going to get on the same page? Or how are we ever going to agree to disagree if we're just going to be rude to one another? And we hear what someone says and then we respond quickly. We respond in anger. We respond in whatever way. And so, now again, James has a purpose for this. It's not just, this isn't just a message on listening. But here's what I'm going to tell you. That if you don't listen to what's about to be said in Scripture... then you might be waiting a long time for a moment like this to come back around to where we visit a part of the Scripture that so clearly tells us how we should be living. And so I want us all to be quick to hear. Verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How many of you have ever seen um, one of those times where someone tries to tell you something and you get angry. And by the way, uh, still struggle with that. How many of you have ever seen a time like that that just ended up going great? It usually doesn't happen like that. When we respond in anger, it usually does not end in good things and the anger that it's talking about here. Um, and, And so... It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. So what does? He's given us the problem. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So what does produce the righteousness of God? Let's look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Okay, if there's anything in your life that you just know is wrong, you know it's wrong. You know it's bad. You don't have to consider 
whether it is this healthy for me or is this the best way to be a follower of Jesus or a good steward. It, this isn't things that you're even having to think about. If, you, if there is filthiness and rampant wickedness in your life, then turn away from that. If you're doing something that you know is wrong, if there is something that is a part of your life that you, you are convinced that it is sin, then run away. Throw it away. Get it away. We don't ha- need to have anything to do with that. Okay? And James says that. And not just throw something away, but look at what he says, and receive with meekness, that's gentleness or power with constraint, receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, he's writing to people who claim to be Christians. And so he, what is this implanted word? Well, this is the gospel. This is Jesus. This is the word. This is the truth of who Christ is. Receive that truth. Receive all of the gospel. Receive it, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, I want to be clear here. Receiving the word in this sense, as in listening, just listening to the gospel does not save you. But it makes you able to be saved. And when I say that, I mean this. How many of you know people who have heard the gospel and rejected it? They chose not to believe it. Most of us. If we don't, then I'm going to say that you haven't told enough people the gospel. And so we, we know that not everyone, even if they listen, even if they hear the truth, that doesn't save them. But hearing the truth can lead to salvation because when we put our faith in Jesus, the truth, when we put our faith in him, when we become his, when we ask him to save us, when he becomes our Lord, we are saved. And when we need to be quick to listen to the word. We need to be quick to receive the word because it is able to save our souls and it is able to transform us into the likeness of Christ. It's able to sanctify us, to make us more like him day by day by day by day. We need to be able to look back on our life and see the progress that we have made being transformed into the image of the Son of God. If we have been a Christian for six months, then there needs to have been a change in those six months in our lives. If we have been a Christian for 20 years, then there needs to be a significant change that has taken place in those 20 years, 40 years, 60 years. We need to be progressively become more and more and more and more like Jesus. That doesn't mean we don't have bad days. That doesn't mean we don't have moments where we backslide, to use a word that most of us understand. It just means that In the long arc of things, we're becoming more like him. We're becoming closer to him. And so receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But don't just receive. Okay, so don't just put away the filthiness. Don't just receive the word. But look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. There are a lot of people who have heard who Jesus is, and they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
and they believe that that knowledge saves them. But that is not biblical. Knowing who Jesus is just by head knowledge doesn't save you. In fact, if we were to continue studying James in the next chapter, he says, even the demons believe and shudder. The demons know that Jesus is God. The demons know who God is. That doesn't save them. Hearing the word is not the last step. Receiving it in a way that you believe it as truth and you are accepting that truth and you are surrendering to that truth and you are asking Jesus to save you. It's not anything that you're doing. You're just surrendering so he can do it, so he can save, so that he can transform you and he can change you. But how many times do we hear the word, hear the word, hear the word, hear the word, and nothing changes? Think of all the times I have opened my Bible and read it. Think of all the times for me that I've read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Think of all the sermons I've heard. Should, shouldn't I be one of the most amazing Christians who, have, who, who has ever lived? So why am I not? Because I can hear the word, and hearing doesn't equal doing. It's my own fault. Now, let me turn the mirror around. How many of you sitting in here today, how many sermons have you heard? How many times have you read the Bible? How many books of the Bible have you read? How many verses have you memorized? Should we not be living in a world where the truth has transformed everything around us because of how much word we have taken in? So why aren't we? Because we've been hearing during Christmas, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we went to my brother's for Thanksgiving, and... Uh, my brother went to culinary school for a little while, so he enjoys cooking. Uh, we had a shrimp broil. We fried a turkey, because, I mean, if you can fry something, why not? Um, we, we ate well. And then we, we came back here after a few, few days out of town. And uh, we had cookies waiting on us. And then... Some of you gave me fudge, and uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Do it again next year. I will eat it again next year. Uh, John Michael and Emma and Rose enjoyed these treats as well. However, Rose got on the scale the other day, and she said, oh, look at that. <laughs> she was very proud of her weight. So I thought, well, I wonder what I'm weighing. It might be time to stop just taking it all in. Y'all ready for chili and pies? <laughs> after the pie, after, after I get finished with this dessert auction, I'll start eating correctly. All right, so what happens if I just keep taking it in? Especially with the ineffective thyroid. I'm just going to 
get larger and larger and larger. Why are you laughing at me, boy? Were you picturing a fat Philip? Anyway, don't have to think too hard about it. Um, if that's all we do, then we just become bloated Christians. Because there's no exercise. There's no doing. It doesn't matter how many sermons you hear if you don't do anything about them. It doesn't matter how many times you read your Bible if you don't let the Word transform you. The Word does not return void. That is a true passage. Anybody know where that verse is? What book of the Bible? So in Isaiah... Did our kids just say it or my wife? Oh, I'm so proud of you. I would have been proud of both of you. Uh, Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, I might go a couple minutes long today. It'll be all right. In Isaiah 6 um, is the call of Isaiah. Isaiah is brought to the throne room of God. He sees the Lord seated on the throne. His response is, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I am of a people of unclean lips. He has seen God's presence, and the glory of God has revealed his sinfulness. Nobody nobody told him he's sinful. He knew it, being in the presence of God. And so the angel flies over with a coal, a burning coal, and cleanses his mouth as a metaphor for cleaning his his sin. And... um, God says, basically, I have a mission. Who am I to send? And y'all know, what does Isaiah say? Someone tell me. Here am I, send me. And then God says, good, get ready, because I'm about to send you to the ends of the earth, and everybody's getting saved. Is that how it goes? No. If if you don't know how it goes, you can go back to Isaiah and read. Here's how it goes. I'm going to send you to my people. And you are going to tell them the truth, and they are not going to listen. And you are going to tell them again, and they are not going to listen. And you are going to tell these people over here, and they are not going to listen. It's not a good, that's not what we think of when we think of successful people in Scripture. But you know what Isaiah did? He did what the Lord said. He went and told them. Did they listen? No. We don't get to choose the, the, the effect of our obedience. We get, just get to choose whether to obey or not. We have all been called, every Christian, every single Christian should consider themselves a minister. I'm not saying you should consider yourself a pastor. I'm not saying you should consider yourself a deacon. We have different roles, but you should consider yourself a minister. You are a saint. You have been redeemed. You belong to the Lord. And you have surrendered your will to adopt His. And His will is not for us to come in on Sundays, although I'm glad you're here, to have a seat, And just soak it all in. And then 
man, that, that was a good sermon, or I've heard better, whatever your opinion is, that particular Sunday. And, and you know what? That encouraged me. I'm, I'm good to go for the rest of the week. Well, what are you good to go do? Because, it, because if it's not being obedient to the Lord, then what did you just hear? You might have heard it, as I've heard many sermons, as I've read many scriptures. You might have heard it, but are you doing it? That's why the title of the sermon is Don't Just Sit There. Because we're not to just be hearers. We are to hear. We are to be quick to hear. Slow to speak. We're to hear what God is saying. We're to put away all rampant filthiness, wickedness. We're to put it all away. But we're also to receive and hear. And then when we hear, we're to do. And just as I need physically to start exercising in order to get into better health, we need to spiritually exercise do what we've been taught, what we've been told. As long as it's truth, as long as it lines up with the Word of God, we need to do it. We don't need to just go to work and survive the day, although sometimes that is spiritual maturity, survival. But that can't be the default of our life. We have to see what God has called us to do. Whatever your job is, if you're in school, if you're, in, um, if you're playing Little League or coaching Little League, if you have grandchildren, whatever role God has given you in life, you are to, to be that person for Him. You are to take what His Word says and to live it out. There are things that, that the Bible says that only the church can accomplish. You can't do it by yourself. And so there are things that we need to come together to do. There are times when we need to cooperate. That's why as Southern Baptist, we have the cooperative program. And our denomination is not different vastly from several other denominations. In fact, when I became a Christian, I was trying to determine what denomination I should be a part of. And we have a very high view of Scripture. We believe the Word of God. At Southern Baptist. Um, so I like that. I, whatever denomination I was going to be a part of had to have that. And then the other things were, how do we do the Word of God? And I saw plenty of things in the Southern Baptist Convention that I didn't like the way we were doing things, as I'm sure some of you feel that way. But the, the thing that I did like and still like is the way we do missions, cooperatively. We as individuals, believe that we have a relationship with Jesus, that our church does not save us. Having a relationship with Jesus saves us. So you don't have to be a member of a local church in order to be saved. However, we believe that if you are saved, then according to the Word of God, you're going to have a desire to be a part of a local church. And the reason that is is because he's telling us to do all these things like serve one another, love one another, and he's telling us to do these things as a church, and we can't do those things apart from local community 
with other Christians. That's a church. And so we as Southern Baptists believe in the local church. We don't have anyone telling us as a, as a church what we have to do or what we can't do. It, those are our decisions to follow the Word of God and to obey the Word of God as best as we can. No one tells this church otherwise. It's up to our adults, our leaders, to obey the Word. And so, as Southern Baptists, we decide that not only are we, as individual Christians, going to cooperate with other Christians and form a local church, but we as a local church are going to work with other local churches, like-minded churches, in order to accomplish things locally. So we have an association. But we don't just care about our town or our, the surrounding communities. We also care about the churches all over our state, right? If there's a place that needs a church that doesn't have a church, we want to make sure that we're planting a church there. If one of our churches, the existing churches, is sick and, and needs some help, and we can go help them with a block party, or we can go do some kind of mission with them, then we want to do that. We want to partner with other churches in our state. But it doesn't just stop there. As Southern Baptists, we cooperate from here, from the individual to the church, to the association, to the state, nationally, internationally. We are sending out missionaries all over the world, and I pray that you would sit here and listen to a sermon and hear that God might be calling you to leave Mansfield and go do the same. Whether it's like the Jerry's who just got a job in Alabama and moved to Alabama, and they're going to be Christians in Alabama. God knows they need them. Um, no, I'm just picking on Alabama. Or it could be like Terry and Nan, who God said, I want you to go to Africa. And they went to Africa. And how long were y'all in Africa? 16 years. Or it might be, I want you to go to work today. And I want you to show patience and love and gentleness. I want you to speak the name of Jesus. I want you to coach a little league team. I want you, that, that's just one of the things that I've done. I want you to be the kind of dad that you're supposed to be, to be the kind of husband you're supposed to be, to be the kind of son you're supposed to be. What, those are things God speaks to me. His word is true and never changing. It is the same for everyone, but how we apply his word might look different in all of our lives. So I don't want you to just hear the word. I don't want you to just read your Bible. I want you to do what the Bible says. I don't want you to just hear a sermon. I want you to do what the sermon says, as long as the sermon is in line with the gospel, with truth. Verse 23. Well, let me say this first. When I was a about 19 or 20 years old. I'd been saved for three years. I'd read a lot of books. I mean, as soon as I got saved, I, got, I, I literally had only read like two or three books in my entire life. I mean, I was a high school graduate. I was an honor graduate, and I'd only read two or three books in my entire life. And then I became a Christian, and I started reading the Bible, and reading the Bible gave me a hunger for reading other things, and especially about God. And so I just started reading. And about three years into that, I was about 20 years old, and I was reading this book, and I think it was The Fear of the Lord by John Bevere. I can't remember exactly which book it was, but I remember reading about God doing this awesome thing, 
And I just put the book down and I said, God, I don't want to read about one more person doing something awesome for you. I want to do things awesome for you. I want to live for you. I don't want to just experience vicariously through a book or through some movie or something else. I want you to use me for your glory. And for too long, too many of us have been okay with the book or the movie. For too long, we've been okay with watching what God will do in someone else's life when they're fully obedient to Him. I want Him to use me. And and where has that passion gone in my life? Why has that waned at times? Where has it gone in your life? Do you remember our first love? Do you remember Jesus in the way you looked at him when you needed salvation? Do you remember your desperation? Do you remember your overwhelming emotion toward him? Where does it go? Well, what happens to Philip when I just eat, 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 and sit? I don't feel like doing anything. I don't feel like getting up. If we would have never stopped obeying when the passion, when the wisdom, when the words of God came in, if we wouldn't have stopped saying yes, or maybe we just got too close to the edge where what God was asking us to do, it was just a small whisper and we weren't even sure if it was Him. And so rather than jumping in, we took a step back. sure about that or maybe what he was asking you to do you knew it was him and it was just too big of a step I hear it from people all the time 20 years ago God asked me to do this and I didn't do it where are you this morning can we please stop just being hearers of the word and start being doers of the word can we take a leap Some of you in your hearts right now, you know that God has been challenging you that it's time for a change. It's time for something different. And I'm not just preaching this sermon because it's a new year. I'm preaching this sermon because I have an overwhelming sense in my soul that personally it's time for some changes and for our church as a whole, it's time for some changes. We don't need to just be hearers. We need to be doers. And don't misunderstand me. I see that some of you are doing. I see how hard you're working to to show love to our church, to serve our church, and to show love outside the walls of this church and to serve the communities beyond the walls of this church. I see what you're doing. I'm I'm not speaking directly to you. But as a whole, we as a church, we really do. There are some things that we need to stop just sitting back and soaking it in and thinking somebody else is going to do it. God's going to call someone else to accomplish that, and it's time for us to get to work. You know, when I was a youth minister, one time I had somebody upset with me because their grandchild wasn't a Christian yet. It's not the youth minister's job to lead their grandchild to Christ. It's the kid's parents and family. And sure, pastors and youth pastors play a role. But it is our job to lead our families. And so where are we? Are we just hearing what needs to happen? Or are we doing 
what needs to happen. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So if you're just listening and not doing, it's like going to the mirror, seeing something wrong. And I know some of you ladies, if there was something wrong, you're fixing it immediately. On the other hand, there's my three-year-old daughter, Emma, who can have chocolate all over her face, look in the mirror and just smile and walk around proud. And if that's you, if you see something wrong and you're not doing anything about it, that's foolish. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So don't just hear his word. Don't just read his word. Do his word. Are we saved by works? No. But if we are saved, there should be works. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not by works so that no one can boast. However, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're not saved by the things we do, but if we're saved, the things we do should change. The things we do should be for Him and for His glory and for His honor. And there are too many people in this room, in this community, in this world who call themselves Christians with their lips, but we look around and we see no evidence. We see no fruit. It's, it's time for that to stop. Let there be no doubt when people see your life that you love the Lord. Let there be no doubt when people see the way you live your life that you love them. Let there be no doubt that you are a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he's bringing it back to the beginning, the listening and the tongue. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but, de but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I don't know all the reasons why James chose to use this illustration, but I think the basis of what he's saying is this. If you're really a Christian, it's going to change you to your core. You're not going, you're going to become a listener. And you're going to hear, and you're going to let that transform you, and you're going to be a doer. You're not just going to sit there and soak it in and hear the Word of God and hear sermons. You're going to do. You're going to be who God has called you to be. And forget about what I think of you for a second. It doesn't matter. Forget about if you feel like I'm stepping on your toes. Just forget about that. What does God think of you? What does God think about what I'm saying right now? Is he in agreement for your life? I've already stated some things in my life that are messed up that need to change. I know some things I need to work on, and I'm working on them. And there are things that I haven't been doing that I should be doing. But are we just being hearers or are we being doers? Because if you're just coming and soaking it in, if you're just coming to church, that's worthless. 
I'm sorry. I'm glad people come to church, okay? I'm not saying that. But what did God say in the Old Testament when people were doing the sacrifices that he required them to do? When they were having the festivals that he told them to have. But they were doing it with the wrong heart. They were just doing it because it was what they were religious their religious experience of what they were supposed to do. They weren't doing it because they were in love with Jesus or God or that because they feared the Lord and they wanted to honor him with their sacrifices. They weren't doing the festivals to remember things the right way. They were just doing a festival. You know what he said? I hate it. I hate all your show. I hate it. I can't stand the gonging of your symbols. He says, don't even waste your breath. Now, how could God say that about church? The same way a pastor can say that I think if you come to a church and you are just a hearer, it's worthless. It needs to transform us. What kind of a pastor would I be if I studied God's word day in and day out, if I listened to sermons by other pastors and podcasts and other things to edify me. And I just soaked it all in, but it did not make me more like Jesus. It's a waste of my time. I have to do what I'm hearing. I have to, yes, accept Christ's salvation, but when we accept his salvation, we're accepting his lordship. He is Lord. He gets to choose what is right and what is wrong. He gets to choose what we are to do and what we are not to do. He gets to choose what... I've got to stop. Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. It's going to be a church service, right? It's going to be... Pure religion is going to be singing... Uh, hymns from the 60s, right? No. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what is he saying by this? First of all, in the Old Testament, widows and orphans When they said widows and orphans, it literally meant widows and orphans, but it was also something that stood for anyone who was incapable of caring for oneself. And so what I believe that he's saying here and why he picks these two very specific things is because he's saying that we are to be doers of the word. You can't read the Bible and not see that we are to care for widows and orphans. We are to obey God's words. We are to be doers. In addition to the hearing, we are to do. And if we're hearing God's word, then not only are we doing, but there are some things that we're not doing. We're obeying God and not giving in to temptation. We're keeping ourselves unstained from the world. And so where are you this morning? As we look at James and what he has to say, A lot of people don't like the book of James because he's very direct and very forward. And if I'm going to be true to the scripture, I think I have to preach a very direct and very forward message. And so I hope that 
you were obviously quick to listen. You were sitting here listening to me, and I hope that it did not lead you to anger this morning, unless it's an anger that you know something needs to change in your life. But I don't just want to sit here and scatter shots all over the room. I just want to preach His Word. And for those of you who God is convicting, let God convict. And for those of you who maybe this is something that you are saying, amen, God has been working this out in my life too. You're thinking of ways that you're being obedient in this and and there's no conviction, then there are two options. One, then you are in right relationship with God. And you hear this, and it's not offensive to you in the sense that it makes you mad because you know that this is truth. And you know that not only do you need to heed truth, but others do also. But there might be some of you in here this morning who listen to this, and you're angry. Who is this pastor? Who is this preacher to tell me that I need to get up? out of the pew, that I need to do something. Well, I'm just reading the scripture here. We are to be doers and not hearers only. And I will say this. I'm 37 years old. I'm young to some of you, and I'm ancient to others. I've only been in ministry for 20 years, or Less than that. I've been saved for 20 years. I've been in ministry for 18. And there are things I haven't seen. There are things I don't know. But there's things I have seen, and there are things I do know. And I know that there are way too many churches that are closing their doors, that are declining in attendance. And some of them, honestly, it's because they're preaching the word and the that people in their community just simply don't want to hear it. That is some of the that is the case some of the time. But in addition to that, in addition to those churches, there are many churches. The reason they're closing their doors is because they have paid a pastor to be the one who is a doer. And they have determined long ago that they are going to be hearers. And they come to church on Sunday mornings and they hear a sermon and they say that's good and they pat the pastor on the back or they fire him, whatever, and get a new one. And then they come back the next Sunday and they hear, "Mm, that, that challenged me, that encouraged me. But nothing's done about what's being said, about what's being read. I'm here to tell you that if that is the attitude that we take, if that's the position that we take as a church, these doors will be closing too. God is not committed to a people who are not committed to him in the sense of, I mean, he's committed in that we are still saved, but he's not going to bless our congregation if we're just doing what we want. So the question is, is what does he want? And the answers are in our Bibles. And the answers is, to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Now, some of you are physically unable to do the things that you used to do. That's life. But you can still do something, whether it's just making a phone call and telling someone you're praying for them and actually pray for them, writing a letter, 
given toward missions, there are things that no matter what stage of life you are in, you can do. And then there are some of us in here where we have become so married to work or community or whatever it is, our families even, things that God meant for good, our families, our community, we have made them lords in our life. And we have become so committed to these things that we've forsaken our commitment to the Lord. Last thing I'm going to say is God deserves better. He deserves better from me and he deserves better from you. And I don't want to read 20 years from now about what God did in this church, in this town, in 2019. I want to experience right now, this year, in our church, what God can do through a people who are sold out to him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, I just pray that you would just bombard our heart with truth this morning. That if there's anyone in here who needs to make any changes in their life, whether it's following you for the first time or recommitting their life to you after days, months, years of not following you the way they should, or whether it's someone who's just coming and saying, I don't know what to do. I want to be a doer. I've been a hearer too long. I just want to follow you. Lord, be with us all in this room right now. Wherever we stand spiritually, wherever we stand in this moment in our relationship with you, Lord, save us if we need saving. Heal us if we need healing. Fire us up, Lord. Help us to be passionate for you and help that passion to result in action for you, obedience to you, and honor and glory to you. Lord, help us to be about you and not about ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During this invitation, I'll be standing right here. You guys can stand. And if anybody needs to come and talk to me, if you need to follow Christ this morning, I'm here. We can talk through that. If you need to spend some time in prayer, if you need to spend some time repenting, if you need to spend some time praying and asking God, how do I act for you? How, how do I be a doer of the word? You respond to God in whatever way he's leading you right now.